the coyotes that survive Reckon he's got to be He lives in the snow at 40 below Or in Malibu by the sea I'm just an old cow puncher I love to listen to his tune As I get high on a bottle of rye coyotes All right, one of my favorites there from Coulter Wall Kicking things off for us on episode 48 Of Campfire Conversations Bonus content coming at you today And I've got a great guest uh, Super excited to share this conversation with you Because he is a real-life American hero also a passionate big game hunter and uh, entrepreneur. We got to hang out a little bit after the uh, SCI show in Nashville, and uh, I'm thrilled that he made the trip all the way to the studio here in North Texas. It is my pleasure to welcome Sam Mackey to the show. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Nice to see you again. Likewise. You have a beautiful uh, place here. I love all the animals on the wall. Oh, Thank you. My, my wife's a good sport. Yeah, mine's a, mine's a good sport too, but not this good of a sport. <laughs> so when we bought this house, we fought like, I mean, we were looking at houses that had a lot of, a lot of uh, houses around here have like a media room upstairs. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want, you know, I need a trophy room, but yeah. we're not bajillionaires. So like building a house and like putting my dream mm-hmm. trophy room, that's not, wasn't in the cards for, for right now, mm-hmm. maybe someday. Uh, so we're looking at houses and. Her aunt was our realtor, and I'm like, only show us houses that have something that I could put a bunch of dead animals in. And she showed us this house, and there was no room. And so, but she really liked it. And I was like, no, this isn't going to work, you know? Because that trophy room I just showed you didn't have a wall there. That was all just open space. Oh, really? So we put the wall in when we bought the house. There you go. Yeah. But we, I mean, we don't, we have a pretty good relationship. And that night I said, screw it, I'm going to the bar. And she said, bye. <laughs> so and then the next day we bought the house. <laughs> it, it's good to hear that when someone else makes large purchases for their family, they have their, their taxidermy in mind. I did the same thing. I moved to Franklin about six months ago uh-huh. and we looked at a bunch of houses and I'm like, Katie, we need high ceilings. Right. Because I have too many too many animals, um, so it worked out great there. We got a house with high ceilings, but in our frog, I think they call it, you know, the furnished room over the garage, uh-huh. the ceilings pitch in at about five and a half foot. Mm. So I'm losing a lot of wall space there. On, on, but uh, I'm I'm finding workarounds. You know, yeah. so I just hang one here and just let it marinate for a bit, see if she notices, uh-huh. and hang another one over here. <laughs> well, I mean, that's why we had to build the wall because she was like, I I'm fine with it, but. I don't want to see it, you know, I don't want everyone to see that comes to our house. Like mm-hmm. If you want to have a room, great, but yeah. it, needs, it needs to be kind of closed off. So mm-hmm. we, we, that next day we're like, well, what if we just put a wall there? And then, you know, we kissed and made up and bought the house. And, Perfect. Yeah. But it's really like I get two rooms because, I mean, look, at, this is like one room and then yeah. <laughs> jokes on her, right? Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she was like, you're going to do it. Because at our our previous house, we just ran we ran out of space. We out we outgrew the house from like a family standpoint, mm-hmm. and then also from like most of the mounts were in what was the dining room at mm-hmm. that time. She's like, "This isn't going to happen at the next house." So <laughs> she's like, "You're going to do it tastefully," and I was like, "Yeah, yeah." And then more mounts come and come and come, and it's like the tasteful option. No, it's just like let's just get them all in there. <laughs> so I had a mouflon sheep that I shot in Texas last year show up last week, uh-huh. and. Uh, my wife just sends me a picture of the box and I get these pictures often 
she's in a picture. What is this? Uh-huh. And I just, you know, exactly what's in that box. You've seen it a hundred times. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you moved to the Nashville area six months ago. Correct. Six. Yeah. About six months ago. Franklin's the suburb, like McKinney's the suburb of Dallas. Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah. Just south, about 25 miles. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Where were you before that? Virginia Beach. I lived there for the last 16 years. Mm-hmm. And then um, before that, San Diego. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what, what was appealing about Nashville for you? So for me, Outsider brought me down there, our, our, um, mine and Jay Cutler's company. Um, and I, when I do something, I just have to go all in. I could have stayed in Virginia Beach and worked remote, um, but I was in a comfort my comfort triangle, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, I wanted to get outside that comfort triangle and I think it was just time for a move, you know? And, uh, so we moved down there six months ago and we love it. Schools are great. Family loves it. So mm-hmm. great little neighborhood, lots of kids. I like Nashville a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I could see the appeal. How often do you go there? Oh, just once a year. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You yeah. go for four days. That's about enough. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I think I made it to Broadway, Two nights and oh, the other yeah. two nights, I was like, um, "Yeah, too old for this." I got sick on—I don't know if I told you—I got sick on uh, on Friday and didn't get out of bed till Monday. Wow! Yeah, yeah. Now Jay has it. Oh, really? So, yeah. I, well, I luckily didn't. <laughs> yeah, <get it>. luckily. <laughs> uh, yeah, what was, was it? Uh, just puking. My three-year-old daughter got it. And I think she gave it to me. Uh-huh. She puked for about five days, and then um, I got it, and I think I gave it to Jay and. Uh, he's passing it around, so but I think he's on the mend. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, we hung out. Uh, what was that Thursday night? Correct. Th- Thursday yeah. night. Mm-hmm. Um, and smoked a couple cigars. And mm-hmm. You like those few. cigars? Yeah, they were nice. Good. Yeah. And I mean, you guys were wearing outsider shirts, and mm-hmm. the cigars had the outsider uh, mm-hmm. label on it, but I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't even know the the cups you were making your drinks in were <laughs> like. But that's what it is. You brought you brought this drinkware, and. Uh, you guys started this company, mm-hmm. um, and what about a year ago? Um, so it originally started two years ago with a gentleman by the name of Shannon Terry and Jay. They started it, um, and then Shannon, his non-compete in the sports world ended. So Jay took Outsider, and Shannon took um, started his company called On Three, and they do NAI um, stuff for uh, college athletes. Mm-hmm. And Jay took Outsider, and then when. Uh, Jay took over Outsider. He brought me on and mm. to run the company. So, mm. yeah, you said, uh, "Hey, come meet," because you were. We already had the scheduled, and you yeah. were at the show on Thursday. And you're like, "Hey, come say hi to my friend Jay." And it was your cousin Riley. Yeah, I forgot he was there. Yeah, <laughs> and he's a hulk of a man. <laughs> yeah, he's like six 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 seven three thirty. So he's a former. Uh, he just retired from the NFL. Yeah, on uh, on Wednesday, uh-huh. the day before. Uh, he was offensive lineman. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Well, and but I didn't know you. You were like, just come say hi to my friend Jay. I didn't know it was Jay Cutler, but I, I certainly recognized him immediately. Uh-huh. Um, and then, yeah, we we had a good time that evening. Um, and luckily, I didn't get sick. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so how did you meet Jay? So uh, my good friend, um, who is the offensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins right now, his name's Frank Smith. Uh Um, he was the tight ends coach for the bears in 2011 and we were friends. And, um, 
after a deployment, uh, he asked me to come up to a game and maybe talk to uh, his tight ends be- the night before the game at the team dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that, and the quarterback showed up as well as the kickers. So we just had a roundtable discussion for about, I don't know, an hour or so. And afterwards, um, I put my number out there. I said, hey, if anyone wants to talk about anything, you know, give me a shout. Worst thing's going to happen is I'm going to, you know, accidentally send you a dick pic or something. <laughs> and uh, um, two people text me, and it was Jay and a tight end by the name of Zach Miller. And the three of us are great friends to this day. Really? Yeah. Then Jay and I, you know, our common ground is hunting. So, uh, you know, when he was playing football, I never asked about football or his personal life or anything like that. And we just had a, a years upon years worth of text messages about hunting. Mm. And then uh, um, when we started hunting together and became good friends, and now he's my business partner and best friend, and yeah, yeah it's great. Well, that's all we talked about the other night. Yeah, we're sitting there. <laughs> that's all. That's where <laughs> conversation goes. We either talk business or hunting, yeah. and typically it's hunting. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, oh, except for that one, that one time the bears. I was in a hunting camp in El, outside of El Paso hunting mule deer, mm-hmm. and we watched the bears play the cowboys. And the cowboys, I think, were good that year. And then. Jay and the Bears just – I mean, I think Brandon Marshall had like 200 yards receiving and Jay threw for like four or five touchdowns. By halftime, I was screaming at the TV, you know. <laughs> I did bring that up, though. You know, uh, I don't remember that game, but I've been to um, a bunch of football games uh, watching my cousin Riley play. And um, for some reason, every time he gets to the playoffs, whether it was the Lions uh, – yeah, I think it was with the Lions – Always got beat by um, Dallas in the first round, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I think they beat Vikings beat him when he was there. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, did you always want to be in special forces? Yes, uh, it started when I saw this movie, and it's probably the most realistic Navy SEAL movie there is. Charlie Sheen's in it. It's called Navy SEALs with Charlie Sheen, oh. and. Uh, um, and I saw that in about the fourth grade, ish. Uh-huh. And uh, ever since then, I wanted to be a SEAL. Really? Yeah. Wow. And- Navy SEALs is the name of the movie. Yeah, it, it was a joke. It's it's a Charlie Sheen movie. Uh, you, you have to watch it. it it's it's great. Uh, okay. It's not realistic, but <laughs> at all. <laughs> Charlie Sheen's the man. So, how many uh, deployments did you do? Um, seven all or seven or eight. All to Afghanistan? No, Iraq, Afghanistan, and Africa, and South America. Oh, wow. Been mm-hmm. all over the globe. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, thank you for your service. Thank you. Um, I asked you the other night, and we don't have to get too political, but we can if we want to. Uh, I asked you about the drone strike in mm-hmm. Jordan. Mm-hmm. and what Because I'm very skeptical about anything our government tells us now. Mm-hmm. And... Maybe I saw that and was like, well, that could be the case. Or maybe they just said that happened to just go ahead and get this war with Iran started because it seems like that's what they want to do. Yeah. Um, but you said you thought that it was probably real. So you were asking the validity of the, yeah. of the drone strike. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's real. Uh-huh. And the reason is I think everyone gives the U.S. government too much credit for having like some secret program to uh, – uh, to do things like this, to you know, start wars and or to fake de- deaths or anything like that. Um, I don't think 
we have it in us to have a program like that, maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think it would get out very, very quick. There would be a whistleblower. Someone's wife would find out, and then she would, or everyone tells her wife everything. So a divorce would happen, then someone would talk. Uh, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think we have it in, that level of secrecy in us. Mm. Well, I, I did see a video of uh, one of the parents talking to Biden. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, my heart goes out to those three Absolutely. families. families yeah. um, but Biden, of course, said that he lost his son in Iraq. <laughs> like in the interview, he's like, I, 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 I lost my son in Iraq, you know. No, his son served in Iraq in 2008, and he died of a brain tumor in 2015. His dementia is, whoo, I mean... Full throttle. I don't watch much news, right? And the reason being is, I mean, it's on the same um, the same things on every show mm-hmm. all day long for like a week, right? And I just don't have time for that shit. And I mean, watching him is, it's just comical at this point, you know? So literally, mm-hmm. the, I just watch clips that everyone sends around. Everyone sees the same clips where he's talking, but... nothing's coming out, right? It's just gibberish. Well, the sad thing is, like, Kamala's worse, and she doesn't have dementia. Like, if you want to see a word salad, watch one of her (laughs) videos talking. Oh, my God, it's bad. It is bad. I haven't seen many of hers. Well, they they keep her in the basement. I know. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and they know they can't run Biden, and they know they can't run Kamala. So Mm -hmm. they have a a little clause in the... uh, Democratic Party, where if they don't have a primary, they can just hand select their candidate. So they're going to be, I mean, they're laying the groundwork. Manchin said last week, if Biden has a medical issue, you know, I'm prepared to run. Well, okay, here's, we're planting the seed of, yeah, Biden's going to have a medical issue. Mm-hmm. We can't run this guy again. They know that. What do you think is going to happen with the election and with Trump and Biden? Do you, th- so I'll just stop there. What, what do you think is going to happen? I think Trump will get the most votes, and he'll he'll win. Whether he actually gets to be president or not, we'll we'll see. Um, that's the answer I was kind of looking for to segue into this next question. What do you think is going to be the catalyst of not or not winning? Is it another pandemic? Is it the the, the processes of voting changing? Because I think mail in ballots will have a lot to do with it again. Mm-hmm. But like you know, other first world countries like take france for instance if you don't show up to vote you just don't vote yeah you have to be there in person to vote i don't know how that's not a thing like, it's absurd it's yeah. because it's all rigged mm-hmm. like I, and i always said this and uh, I, people can say conspiracy whatever i don't care i said they stole the election the first time not because they stole votes but because they manipulated social media which that's where everyone consumes information now and mm-hmm. when you suppress the hunter biden laptop story and you say Anyone that talks about the Hunter Biden laptop story is a conspiracy theorist. Okay, well, fast forward to today. We all know that it was real and that you lied about it and that you weren't even the acting president and you colluded with big tech and, and meta to suppress that and to discredit people that were saying it. Like, yeah, you, you totally influenced the election because if people knew your son was that corrupt, they might not have voted for you. I, I completely agree. What happened to that laptop? I know, like, didn't they find it in a dumpster or... yeah. Uh, or they put it in a dumpster or or, he he just it was just like laying around in the trash and and yeah and the the amount of stuff on there is just like you know like the the, that doesn't even take into consideration is is illegitimate dealings with foreign entities yeah 
and the bank i mean the bank records like biden's so old at this point like Putting him in jail is probably not worth it, but it's funny to me that they keep going after Trump in the legal system, and Biden just is skating on. It was done way more damning things. So Trump doesn't pay his taxes. Well, he he does, but he uses the loophole like everyone else. Mm-hmm. And that one, uh, th- that's one of the greatest clips ever, is where they ask him, "Did you use this loophole to?" And he's like, "Well, yes." And if you have a problem with it, then you guys fix the system. But I know you won't because your friends don't want to pay their taxes either. Was that during the debate? I yes, with that. Hillary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was great. That was awesome. He, but that's why, and I'm not a big like Trump, like mm-hmm. MAGA, woo, mm-hmm. you know, but the way they've treated that dude has turned me into a Trump guy. Like, I voted for him because yeah. I'm a conservative. Like, I'm pro gun, I'm yep. pro hunting, I'm against transgendering kids and all yep. that crap. Likewise. Um, not because I was like, I love Donald Trump. There are people that do love Donald Trump like that, mm-hmm. um, and that's great. But the more they go after him, the more it makes me be like, man, I, this is my guy, you know? You know, one thing about um, neglecting to prosecute, you know, Hunter and or uh, um, anybody on the Democratic, in the Democratic Party for, you know, all the wrongdoings that have happened mm-hmm. has always blown my mind, especially being in the military and working for the government for 20 years. If I did anything close to that, they would kick me out. I'd go to Leavenworth. I, I mean, my life is over. Yeah. Any, not, anything close. Not, it doesn't even have to be in that stratosphere, actually. Any, I, we fry our own so quick, and it's disgusting. Yeah. Um, but however, they just get a pass on everything. Double standard. Yeah. But if it was a conservative, oh, oh they'd be crucified. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it, yeah. It's not the same game. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I think Trump will win. We'll mm-hmm. see what how it all plays out. I, I know Biden won't. He won't get the votes. Like yeah. you can look at any poll that's out there, and he's mm-hmm. losing by five to six points on every one of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's not even going to be close. So if if we see the same yeah. you know, at one a.m. <laughs> and we just watch all these states just flip instantly, yeah, that's that's why I just sighed. <laughs> yeah. Well, then we'll know. And and if that happens, dude, I, I either way, here's the crappy thing. I think we're set up for civil unrest. If Trump wins, mm-hmm. the Democratic cities are going to burn down their own cities again. It's gonna be great. We we're so upset. We're gonna burn down the place we live, and then. But you know, uh, if Trump loses, then how long are the conservatives gonna continue to play nice? We're too nice. Yeah, I'm I'm not advocating yeah. like let's go riot. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's not what I'm saying. But there, I don't know what that is for us. Um, so I'm not a big conspiracy theory guy either. But one that I do believe in, you know, is what was it? Um, it started in Portland or. Uh, um, or Seattle it was it started with the Occupy stuff, and then it turned into uh, what was the one in Seattle? Where they renamed the city, yeah. the the council, city council, where they sacked it and Correct. renamed it Chad. Yeah, that, that yeah. was it. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you think those people lived in Seattle, or do you think they were flown in? And you know, oh, I think the, it's a mix of both. That are, and then you had all the riots all over Chicago, mm-hmm. and then you know, at the uh, everywhere else where. People were burning down businesses and mostly looting. peaceful protests. Yeah, yeah. Oh, correct. <laughs> right. Uh, you and I would be in the pokey for a year and a half at that if we broke a window in a storefront. Uh-huh. But uh, anyway, I I think there's a lot of collusion going on with with all of that. Yeah. Um, and I don't think those people are residents of that city. Yeah. A lot of them. Well, know? and I you know I don't know if it's true or not, but I saw pictures. But again, I don't know what to believe what's true, what's not from the media these days because all they're doing is trying to manipulate us. But like, 
this is where the riot's going to happen, and here's a pallet of bricks right mm-hmm. here conveniently. I, yeah, I do remember seeing that. <laughs> right? I mean, people forget about all <laughs> yeah, this stuff, but, yeah. well, then what happened to those bricks? Yeah. They got thrown through windows. Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so as far as your military service, and you mentioned this the other night too, when you guys are deployed, do you get bored if there's not a con- like active uh you know enemy to engage with horribly bored really yeah so it's like i'd rather go risk my life just out of boredom because it's like in this is what i'm here to do oh 100 percent um you know my wife always says i only worry about you when you're happy (laughs) on deployment and uh she knows you know we're out banging targets and having a good time she's like i never worry when you sit there and call me all the time and you're bored and you want to talk to me mm-hmm. um because you know when you're over there you're by yourself or you're with your buddies but uh you forget that oh yeah she's picking up kids from school she's packing lunches she's cleaning the house you know and i just want all of her attention when i call and i forget that she has a life uh-huh. you know to live and family or and mouths to feed family to take care of um but yeah she only worries when i when i'm happy Really? So, yeah, being bored on deployment is just miserable. You know, being bored is one thing, but it's more detrimental when um, you're just waiting on approval and or you're not getting approval to go out um, on ops to get certain guys. And it's, you know, the bureaucracy of, uh, of our system is keeping you from, you know, going out and taking a bad guy, right? Mm. Um, that's, that's the most frustrating part. See, I I never and I've had a lot of special forces guy on the show, but they they've never put it like that. Like mm-hmm. where I'd rather actively be risking my life than sitting here bored. Oh, hundred percent oh, every day. And everyone ha- has the same mindset. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there's outliers that you're like, oh, I'm good, just hang out here. This one, you know, yeah. looks like it could be real dicey, you yeah. know, and uh, like you could kind of see their inner bitch kind of in them uh, <laughs> but uh, i'm try, trying to think of a more poetic way to say that but it didn't work yeah. um and uh but the majority of guys are the more kinetic the you know uh higher risk that's what guys want for sure mm-hmm. um what was the diciest situation you found yourself in um i would say i know the question you're uh asking but i'm gonna uh, give you a probably a different answer sure it would be a lot of training we do um i think vbss which is vessel board and search and seizure is a dangerous most dangerous thing we do really um yeah that's how those two seals lost their life a couple weeks ago Mm. and uh um, i've watched guys get hurt real bad doing it uh helicopter everything from helicopter crashes guys falling in the drink going under the ship and almost getting hit by the screw um, it's just very dangerous huh. and, uh, and that, and, um, doing helo stuff, you know, like where they're doing a lip landing and you're, so you're jumping off the helo onto a rooftop or off the rooftop into a helo. Um, those get real dicey. Um, so I'd say the most dangerous th- thing is, is the training we do wow. for sure. Okay. And what was your favorite thing about your time? deployed which you just retired correct like, yeah like a week ago yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm right out of the right right out of the gate just just got to the past year uh-huh. uh my favorite thing would um have to be the mental game and 
it's uh, and leading guys and beating the scenarios, you know, beating the enemy and um, always being a step ahead of them. It's just a, it's just a game. It's just a game of chess, essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, where you move your guys, it's small unit tactics, of course. Where you move your guys and um, in accordance to how the enemy are acting and just always having the upper hand and keeping the upper hand the whole time. Um, that's just good brain food. And, and for me, it was just a game and it's a game of chess and mm. it, it's really, really, really fun. Out of the four places that you were deployed, where was, which was the most receptive to American presence and the least receptive? I think most, I went to, uh, my last point was to Southcom and so I was to Columbia there. I mean, we didn't do anything. It was just uh, FID, which is, foreign internal defense so mm-hmm. you're training um the your partner force which is a local military or local special forces guys for, to that country um of course that was super chill right it's cartagena there's people down there bachelor parties going on down there and um mm. and everything like that and i would say the least permissive would be uh iraq or afghanistan mm-hmm. for sure yeah where we were um in Afghanistan, no one liked us, you know, so, hmm. but I mean, they could have, but they were still shooting at us. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're always looking out for their, their military force, but also civilians could turn on you on a dime. Correct. You know, um, so in Iraq and Afghanistan, they're not wearing uniforms, right? right? So a guy could walk out of the village and seem totally fine and walk back in and grab a gun and start shooting at you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you never know who the enemy really is. Um, but I found the best way to tell is, uh, is touch their hands. Like as soon as you, uh, meet somebody, if you come up on somebody or you wrap a bunch of guys up, just go through and feel their hands. And, uh, if they're typically, if their hands are real calloused, um, they're just workers and, you know, live in that village. If they're soft, um, then they're probably Taliban. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. I never heard that. Yeah. Interesting. Um, one time I had on these two guys and they were, they were special ops. I can't remember if they were Rangers or seals, but they said their Afghanistan, uh, experience was basically guarding poppy fields, which I, you know, that was news to me. And, uh, they said it was like, they were very disillusioned with why they went there. Um, I don't know if you had experienced anything similar. Um, no, I've never guarded a, a poppy field. I think we burned a couple down, uh-huh. um, but uh, that was, I, I think, more out of boredom than anything else. And to get rid of the, you know, that's how the Taliban makes their money to, you know, to get rid of their a little stream of revenue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I never guarded a poppy field, or mm. I, I don't understand why they would be doing that. Mm. Uh, but. I, uh, oh, I, it was when we withdrew from Afghanistan, and I, so I, I reached out to these two guys. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, the way that we left Afghanistan was a royal mess. Atrocious. N- yeah. And so I asked them, I was like, after seeing what just happened and, you know, the way we left it, do you think your time there was well spent? And I guess they didn't have the same experience as mm-hmm. you of, you know, being engaged with yeah. with the enemy mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Um, but, yeah. Um what were your resp- uh, responsibilities on your team? So over the course of 20 years, you know, I 
climb the ladder. So mm-hmm. your uh, responsibilities change as you as you climb. When you show up, you know you're an FNG, just a new guy, and um, your responsibilities are just to learn as much as you can, um, ask questions, and keep up. You know, and then try to outperform all your peers, and then outperform the guys right above you, right? So that that's that's your goal, um, and your responsibilities. And then from there, you um, pick slash get told, depending on you know your personality type, um, of what your trade is going to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we have breachers, comms guys, JTACs, um, snipers, and but then those are the main ones. There's a couple, there's a bunch of little ones in there. Um, but unlike the green berets, we wear multiple hats. Like for example, uh, I'm not a green beret expert by any means, but um, my understanding is, for example, if you're a breacher, that is your job for you know, your life, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, while you're in the green berets, uh, for us, you can be a breacher and a sniper and a JTAC, um, and wear all those hats. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> when, uh, after your first platoon or before your first platoon, you'll go to a couple schools, professional development schools. And if you get one of the big ones, that's kind of the route you go. <clears throat> and, uh, excuse me. And then, um, you'll do that for, two to three platoons, right? And uh, so a platoon cycles two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll do that for four to six years, and then you'll get you'll gain more responsibility every two years, right? And uh, then, so for example, you'll start out as a new sniper, you know, by the uh, end of six years or um, six, eight years, you might be running um, the recce element. And the recce element is typically full of snipers, so you'll be in charge of other snipers. And then after that, you'll take a position... Uh, called an LPO, which is a lead petty officer of the platoon. So you're uh, an E6, one below the chief, and you're, a, it's the hardest, one of the hardest jobs in the SEAL teams, uh, because you're responsible for um, all the day in, day out stuff, all the logistics, and then also training your guys and everything like that, right? Mm. And uh, um, you're taking it from both ends, because the younger guys below you are like, hey, we want to do this, why can't we do this? And the you know, your chief above you is, Hey, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Mm -hmm. Right. So it's a very difficult job. So that's your first major leadership position in the SEAL teams. And then, um, after that you have your platoon chief and you're in charge of the whole platoon. Um, and this is for the enlisted side, not the officer side. And, uh, then the next milestone would be a troop chief. So you're in charge of two platoons. And then, um, after that you'll make master chief and then you can work your way up to be in charge of a SEAL team. Mm Mm-hmm. And where did you, where did you end up? I ended up at E8 and so I never did my troop chief um, because troop chiefs roles and responsibilities have changed a lot over the years. If this was, you know, circa 06, I would have done a troop chief for sure Uh um, because they're bringing the troop to war and you're going out and doing troop size hits. So you're bringing both platoons out and you're in charge of the whole thing since war has died off it's more of an admin role now and i just didn't have that in me to go do all that paperwork for right. two years for <laughs> and i wanted to retire at 20 years anyway so if i would have done it i wouldn't i would have put on e9 and then but not have gotten any of the pay for retirement because you have to do you know your high three they call it so you have to do three years in that um and that 
uh, rank to get paid for it as you retire, but it also takes a while to start getting paid. So it's really like four years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for me to, uh, and I made this decision at about my 18, 17, 18 year mark that I didn't want to do it because then it would, re- I'd, to get the most bang for the buck, I'd have to stay in about 24 years. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just didn't have that in me. Yeah. Well, you have kids too. Yeah. Uh, how old are they? Three, five, and seven. Wow. And but, Boys, girls, little girls, all girls. They're the light of my life. Oh, yeah. I love those little peanuts. Yeah. yeah. I have two girls, uh, nine year olds, twins. Yeah. And, and you have a boy too, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Uh, he's, he's really embraced hunting and they say they want to, <laughs> uh, but, but they, one of them has shot at a turkey and missed it. Well, there you go. Well, they've shot guns. Yeah. A little stuff, trigger time. But, you know, they, they talked a big game about how they wanted to shoot a deer this year and then, mm-hmm. When it came down to the nitty gritty, they were like, "Eh, maybe next year." But they did say, "But both still want to shoot a turkey." So my, my three year old is hell bent on going bear hunting. <laughs> That's I, awesome. I, I mean, I have, uh, I have a bear in my house. I've I've had, I've had a couple of them, uh-huh. um, but I got a big bear rug, and I don't know what it is, but she's just hell bent on dad. We're going bear hunting. I'm gonna be a bear hunter. Nice. So uh, hopefully that comes to fruition. <laughs> yeah. My older older one, my seven year old, she hasn't shown that much interest in hunting at all my five-year-old she's gone out with me once but i we were at jay's uh, farm in kentucky deer hunting and um, i was trying to get one of my girls to go with me and my middle daughter went just because i think she felt bad for me because <laughs> <laughs> no one else would go with me but uh-huh. of course my wife packed her a load of snacks so you get in there and she's looking through my rangefinder, drops it looking through binos drops it breaks open her snack bag it's just Super quiet. Straight mayhem in yeah. there. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, we had a good time. Uh-huh. Talk about the weaponry that you guys had, uh, what you carried on a, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, great question. So there, we have a, a lot of different weapon systems in our armory, mm-hmm. and it depends on your job on the platoon what weapon you're going to carry, right? Um, so your average shooter or assaulter will have their M4, and it's a 10-inch barrel um, I think it's actually like 10.3 inches uh, with a suppressor. So it's just your standard M4. Mm-hmm. Um, and then their sidearm uh, would be a Glock. We switched from the P226 SIGs to the Glock 19. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, 9 millimeter? Correct, yep. Yeah. And we also have H&K 45s, but those things are the, they're the SOCOM ones, I think they're called. And they're huge. And you put a suppressor on them, the thing is like 15 inches long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can keep it in the side-by-side of your vehicle to shoot a streetlight or a dog or something that's chasing you. Um, but uh, so that would be the average loadout for an assaulter. Then you have your A-dub gunners, so your automatic weapon gunners. And we have a Mark 46 and a Mark 48, so that's a fully automatic machine gun. One of them is 7.62, and the other one is a 5.56. And then you have... An assortment of grenade launchers. You have your M79, which is, they're phasing out, which is my favorite, but it's the old pirate gun. Mm. Um, and then they have the new ones that, I, I forget who makes them. Uh, I think HK makes them, actually. Uh, they're little handheld grenade launchers. Um, and then people have the 203s on the bottom of their, uh, on the bottom of their rifles. Um, and then you have your assortment of rockets, um, Carl G's and... Uh, um, AT4s and law rockets. So um, those are three options for rockets. And then your snipers, um, they have a, we used to have a 5.56 weapon system, 
um, sorry, we still still do, but um, and then a um, a 7.62 weapon system. It used to be a gas gun, or still is a gas gun, but it was the I think it was called like the Mark 25, if I remember right. Hmm. But it was a standard like AR-10 platform, mm-hmm. um, and uh, went away from that. Went to the Scar, which is an atrocious and uh, but not good. No, no. Oh. Um, I never liked it, and. Then we have a 300 Win Mag and a 50 Cal. Wow! And but you know, I named all those weapon systems in my for my platoon. I tried to standardize everything. If we're carrying rockets, we're carrying uh, Carl G's, and we're carrying this ammo. That way, if you know you, you have a rocket and I have a rocket, and I shoot all my ammo, I can run over and get some from you real quick. Right. If, if we're if we're carrying A Dubs, um, it's all 7.62 and or all 5.56. I always always carried i had my guys carry 762 and um that way once again if someone runs runs out of ammo you can yeah. uh, jockey back and forth so uh that's pretty much all the weapon systems that we have i'm sure i'm missing some mm-hmm. we had a, an m14 uh have so in your time though i'm sure it changed over the course of your 20-year career what was what did you like to carry based uh, off of your responsibilities I liked uh, my M4 and a sniper rifle, and my uh, favorite sniper rifle was a 50 cal, uh-huh. for sure. Yeah. Wow. 50 cal sniper rifle. Yeah, it's a McMillan, uh-huh. um, bolt action. The Army uses the Barrett, the semi-automatic, but we use the McMillan bolt action. And of those at a distance, which one is the most accurate? That's three, probably a loaded question because yeah. you train with them all, yeah, right? But I would say three hundred wind mag or uh, three hundred wind mag is is a more accurate weapon system for sure. Okay, um, that's my favorite yeah. big game caliber, and and it's a Remington seven hundred action with uh, it's a custom stock, custom barrel, everything else custom, but the action's a Remington seven hundred action. Mm-hmm. What do you uh, what do you hunt big game with? Uh, the main weapon i use is a 308 just because i'm so familiar with the ballistics and it's just comfortable for me uh-huh. um if i go up above that um a 300 win mag mm-hmm. um how much did all this stuff weigh i mean i know you're not carrying one of each right everyone's carrying something different but generally speaking how much does your gear weigh and i'm just thinking about the most miserable elk pack outs that i've done and i wonder if it's even close to like what you guys are have on your back yeah um it varies per guy and per responsibility right because you have your corpsman's carrying uh, all the med gear your comms guys carrying extra radios and batteries right so it varies per position in the platoon um but if i had to take a wild ass guess how much weight an average guy carries i'd say 60 pounds 70 pounds okay yeah yeah so that's about what no it's not i mean when when i go into the backcountry i want to keep say for like a week-long hunt Mm -hmm. i want to go in under 50 pounds you of go, my gear. Okay. Right. You go in under 50. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, under 50. Yeah. If I'm hiking in yeah. five to mm-hmm. 10 miles, whatever. Um, and, and that usually doesn't include the bow or rifle. I'm usually carrying that separately. Mm-hmm. Um, but 50 or 60 pounds is, is a lot. The heaviest elk pack out I did was 112 pounds. That was only, that was three miles, but it was, mm-hmm. My, thankfully, my buddy went downhill to shoot the elk. So then to get it back to camp, it was all uphill. <laughs> <laughs> Good dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that, that weight doesn't come into if we're doing like a three-day or anything mm-hmm. like that. Then you have all that extra weight on your back. So mm-hmm. easily 80, 90 pounds, you know, mm-hmm. all together. Mm-hmm. So. Um, 
So would you say that your technology that you guys had was infinitely superior to what the civilian ship can get? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Especially when thermals um, started coming out and, and the you know generation just kept getting better and better and better. I remember it was maybe 2018 uh we got I'm, I'm, and i'm sure they're updated since then yeah. but i remember this new one came out and uh we're on a range at nighttime and i saw a field mouse at like 700 yards really yeah <laughs> i mean i think the ones yeah. i mean i've got all the latest armor site stuff and it's pretty sweet yeah compared to what you guys have access to mm-hmm. it's uh yeah there's uh there's some great technology out there and I'm sure there's way better stuff than I've ever, than I've seen too, uh-huh. for sure. Uh, oh, I'm, and I'm just asking, you know, for when Texas bounces up out of this, you know, like, <laughs> 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 we say we've had enough, you know, uh, maybe Tennessee will come with us. Who knows? I'm joking. Of course I'm joking. Um, yeah. What's uh, so living in Nashville, I doubt like the music really was, uh, a factor for you moving there, but what do you, what do you like to listen to? So I like country music and okay. I love listening to live, live music. So maybe it was a little bit of a factor. It was a huge perk, uh-huh. you know, and, uh, because you can go almost anywhere and the musicians you hear, like the only thing I think is, how are you not famous? Like you're mm-hmm. a good looking young man, you're a good looking gal and you have a awesome voice and, but there are so many of them, you mm-hmm. know, there's this little, uh, little place called uh, Fox and Locks and Leaper's Fork. And you can go there on Thursday nights and it's uh, singer songwriter night. And so each person gets two songs and it, it goes on for like three hours and the level of talent there is through the roof. Mm. Yeah. It's really fun to go to. I think we went to this little place called Valentine's on uh, Broadway mm-hmm. and they had, like you said, a young, good looking guy, yeah. a good band. And he just played eighties, nineties cover songs. And everyone was loving it. I knew the words to every song, <laughs> you know, that was back before my personal opinion. I don't, I don't like Nashville music today. Mm-hmm. Like I don't like this bro country stuff. It's my new. favorite country singer of all time is George Jones. So I'll just oh, yeah. let okay. you know where I stand yeah. right there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm in the same boat. Yeah. So we have a unique music scene in Texas. It's like mm-hmm. red dirt yep. outlaw country. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my wheelhouse. Yeah, I love Cody Jinx. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so yeah. Cody's been here three times, I think. Oh, nice. He's too famous now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I could probably reach out to him and he would agree to like, if I came to his tour bus to do mm-hmm. it, but him, because he lives in Denton. Where's that at? Or it did live in Denton. It's just uh Northwest of here. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but before he was, you know, superstar, mm-hmm. he'd happily come over here. It's nice. funny how that changes with these, with the musicians yeah. and, and you don't blame them. Like, yeah. Um, they're also but, probably getting tugged a million different directions. Well, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. And usually they have a handler that, you know, mm-hmm. the PR person that does all of it for them. And they're the one that's like, you know, ah, he's, he's too busy you mm-hmm. know, or whatever. You but, know, I've been trying to get a hold of for the last two weeks or so, Zach Bryan, because yeah. the two seals that just died, um, they both had in their will that they wanted him to play at their funeral huh. and finally got a hold of his manager. Um, and the manager said he's too busy. and doesn't fit his schedule. And, um, I have a hard time believing that Zach right. said that, right? That's the deal. I, I, I don't know him, but the, my, Zach my, probably never got that message. And my, my, I didn't say this, but my response, um, 
because uh, I just heard this from somebody. I haven't got the official email saying that. Um, was do you have the authority to say yes? Mm-hmm. And my guess is no, right? Mm-hmm. But you, so what gives you authority to say no? Like at l- 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 least put this in his ear, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah. yeah. Well, Zach's one of those guys who's saving country music, yeah, because his popularity has skyrocketed so quickly. He was in the Navy. You know? Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, that's to me, that's what country music yeah. should sound like real songwriting, mm-hmm. not chew tobacco, chew tobacco, spit, <laughs> or shake it on the big green tractor or whatever stupid stuff they're coming out with in Nashville. Now, half of it has got rap in it. It's like, yeah, you're right. Uh, it's not, I, I do like Jelly Roll. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I well, do. I, yeah. He, he's unique, at yeah. least, you know. Uh, he used to live in my neighborhood really? before he got famous. Yeah, yeah, from before I moved there. Uh huh. You know, interesting about, you said you went to a bar on Broadway. So I'm just still learning everything. I'm, I'm a Nashville novice. Right? Oh, me too. Uh, I and uh, two trips there under my belt. But um, my wife has a cousin that lives in Nashville, and she's lived there for a while, so she enlightens us. So certain bars on Broadway play certain genres of music. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know which bars um, do this, but, for example, I do know... Um, Roberts always has old school country music and the other ones, you know, they'll stick to nineties country. Another one, you know, will be the latest and greatest. And another one will be maybe like eighties or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the bar sticks to the genre, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I tried, I didn't bother this trip, but like last year, everyone's like, got to go to kid rocks or friends in low places or, mm-hmm. and, uh, to me, those, you can't even hear yourself thinking there. Like I They're loud. No interest in that yeah. whatsoever. They're I'm really past loud. that point in my life where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I think people are in there just looking, chasing tail, mm-hmm. you know? And or it's fight central. I don't I know? don't have any use for that. Give yeah. me the smaller bar with a good band. I'm, I'm in the same boat. Yeah. Um, I like to have a conversation, you know? Exactly. I don't want to have to yell it at my yeah. buddy that's standing <laughs> right next to me. And I can't hear what that shit anyway, so. <sighs> yeah. I uh, mean, neither. I wish... Uh, I wish that I would have started wearing ear protection when I started hunting, but uh, that that ship sailed for me. Yeah, my wife and kids are like what dad, and I'm like ah. And I remember my grandfather who served in World War II. He was the same way, and he's like, "You got to talk into my good ear, son." <laughs> <laughs> I I got hearing aids in about 2011, uh-huh. and I'm bad, real bad about wearing them. And uh, now it's a weird thing. I'll put them in, and everything's too loud for me. Really? You know, my kids are real loud. Everything around the house is loud. So, uh, yeah, my wife gets on me. I need to wear them more. So but, what, what is the most, uh, what are, like, your most played artists on your Spotify or iTunes? I would have to say Merle Haggard, um, Waylon Jennings, or George Jones. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nice. Good, good options right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you grow up hunting? Um, a little bit. Um, I started hunting in about the fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my great friends, uh, him and his dad and his brothers were real um, into waterfowl hunting. Uh-huh. And so I think I went to the hunter safety course in like the fifth grade or sixth grade, somewhere right around there, maybe younger, maybe fourth grade. And then um, they had four, four boys, so they'd bring me along. And, and then I started duck hunting and we started pheasant hunting. This is up in Northern California. Um, and then... I didn't start hunting big game until I moved to Virginia, um, mm-hmm. or after I moved to Virginia. Uh, I was looking for a hunt club, and then um, f- 
through the grapevine found this gentleman. Uh, his son, both his sons are seals also, but his name's his name's uh, um, Ron, and he had a hunting lease, a deer hunting lease, and I went up there and joined it. So deer hunted in um, in Virginia for years, and never saw like a big buck or like the the level of deer here in Texas. Yeah. And then my buddy Morgan Luttrell, um, is a congressman now. Uh, so we did a couple of platoons together and worked together in the SEAL teams. Uh, he said, Hey, you need to come out to Texas. So I came out to Texas and went to one of his friend's ranch. And, uh, we, we did, I did that two years in a row. And the first one went to this gentleman by the name of Pryor Blackwell out of Dallas, a dear friend of mine. And he has a big ranch and I went out there and my mind was blown. Yeah. Since <laughs> that fear went off. First of all, there's already like four deer out there. I'm like, I will hunt for a week and see a doe, maybe. Right. right? And uh, I'm like, I'm just climbed up here and deer just walked out. I'm like, this is unbelievable. Then the feeder goes off and, you know, a mature nine point walked out and, or eight point, um, I think it was, and hammered it. It was the biggest deer I've ever killed, time of my life. Right. And then, uh, so since then, I've been coming to Texas multiple times a year to hunt. Really? Yeah, I, I hunt and right now. Um, since I moved down uh, to Nashville, Jay has a ranch in Kentucky, so I hunt there. But before I moved to Nashville, I stopped hunting in Virginia mm-hmm. and just would fly to Texas to hunt. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Jay has a. I don't know how big his place in Kentucky is, but I didn't know. I mean, I knew Kentucky had some nice deer, but he had some monsters. And that's a obviously low fence place. Correct. He, yeah. he runs a hell of a program. Yeah. Um, and he's had it, I'm going to say five, seven years, somewhere in there. Uh-huh. And his farm manager does an awesome job. Um, all the shooter bucks, there's pictures of them on the wall. And those are the only deer you're shooting mature, um, large deer. And, uh, um, of course there's the colon that needs to happen as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's taken him years to get that get the program where it needs to be, and he's done a hell of a job. And then I think in in about two years he's going to have some monsters on that on that place. Yeah, like one seventies, one eighties, easy. Yeah. Riley, uh, cousin, um, he has a a ranch in South Dakota, and when he bought that ranch, there was two hundred inch deer on it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I hunted up there because he's been playing football, and I want to hunt with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to do that this this winter. So I'm really I mean, his whole his whole hunting season just opened up retiring. Oh, he he, he almost didn't play last year uh, because he had pictures of this deer, and he sent me this picture. I'm like, that deer is over 200, and it's a it's a hoss. He's like, yeah, I'm thinking about not playing football to hunt this deer. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, but you know, the Patriots waved uh, a lot of money in from him, so he played football. Or I would have also, uh, but then his neighbor shot him. Uh, I think it, I think he scored 211. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that's South Dakota. Yeah. So I've, I've driven through South Dakota. So fly into rapid city mm-hmm. and I was driving South to go hunt, uh, Northern Nebraska mm-hmm. and driving back dude. the amount of bucks just in those river bottoms along the highway. Yeah. I, I could look over and see, and I didn't see like a 200 inch deer, but I know I saw some one sixties mm-hmm. and because I'm, I, I, I left, to, to go back to Rapid City after my hunt, I left when it was still dark. And so it was like the sun is just coming up yep. and all the deer are out moving. And there's mule deer on this side of the highway and on this side where there's more river. It's like whitetail habitat. Yep. You could just see deer everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I saw what I thought was like a deer in the 160s or 170s. 
And next thing you know, I'm like looking up, how do I deer hunt in South Dakota? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lottery, I believe. Well, yeah. Or you, uh, you can put in for points. Yeah. So I now have, I think two points in South Dakota. Well, uh, I have some land out there in the, in the black Hills and, uh, and Riley has some land. So if you ever get some points or if you ever draw, yeah. let us know, we'll, okay. we'll, we'll give you some areas to hunt for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so your favorite thing to hunt these days is whitetail. I love hunting whitetail, but I love going to Africa. I've been to Africa hunting one time, mm -hmm. and I love that. Mm -hmm. I'd love to do that again. I think I'm uh, trying to get something lined up in a couple months to go back. Um, and I just love seeing the animals. I love the wildness about it. You know, I, I really, really enjoyed uh, my trip over there. Riley, me and Riley went over there in uh -huh. about 2018 or so. Okay. And I uh, had a great time. But I, I love bear hunting. Um, and, but I, I guess I didn't answer your question because I'm just talking about all the hunting. I love the, what I love hunting the most would be, um, I think bear. I really? do love bear hunting. Yeah. yeah. So what did you shoot in Africa and where, where did you go? I uh, went to South Africa and then went up to the Limpopo district. Uh -huh. Yeah. And, uh, famous area. Yep. And I shot a Cape Buffalo, a zebra and Paula and a blue wildebeest. And which of those animals did you shoot first? Cape buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, that's so crazy. Um, usually, you shoot the impala to get your your feet wet. It's like I'm in Africa. Your pH is like, let's see if this guy can really shoot. You know, uh -huh. what am I working with here? Yeah. And they put you on like an impala or a springbok. You know, uh, but it's funny. My college roommate, he went over there with me two years ago, and. He got way overserved the first night. <laughs> That'll he, happen. He didn't get up to go hunting the first day, and the, the PH is like, "Cable, hey, well, what is this? What up? What's up with this guy that you brought me here?" And I'm like, <laughs> uh, "He'll be fine. He'll be fine." And he doesn't have a lot of hunting experience. Mm -hmm. He's worked uh, very hard in his adult life, and has just got to the point where he has a, a lot of expendable income. Mm -hmm. So he's like, "I want to go to Africa," and he'd purchased a ranch, and he, he has a trophy room. He wants to start, yep. you know, decorating it. Oh, of course. And, uh, so I said, Ed, he'll be okay. You know, but th the next day they were looking for probably an Impala or something and they got on a Buffalo and that was the first thing he killed as well. <laughs> how, uh, how'd that go? Uh, I mean, he, he shot it and made a good shot. Really? I think he shot it once, maybe put a follow-up shot in it. Mm -hmm. Um, but then he just went on a killing spree. Like, good for him. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, that's, and that's the allure i think of of africa for me is certainly when you go for the first couple times mm -hmm. and you're you're checking species off on yep. your list you know you put in here for an elk tag you maybe you get it maybe you don't but mm -hmm. when you do get it you're hunting for one specific animal and you're scouring a mountainside yep. for one animal for one uh, one shot just give me one attempt on mm -hmm. this hunt and uh, you go to africa and it's like well i'm hunting Impala, but ooh, uh, the tracker said there's a Cape Buffalo track here, so mm -hmm. let's do that. Or, hey, there's a nice kudu that we've glassed up over on this ridge. And then you, you just pivot and you're hunting that. And so you're not, uh, you know, it's just a target-rich environment. I do love that about it. You're, yeah. You are correct. I haven't looked, looked at it through that lens, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed that part of it. And when Riley and I were over there, um, someone had spot or they knew there was a massive kudu on this ranch we were on or hunting on and um and then someone spotted it 
like a week prior or during our hunt or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then we hunted it for uh, about six days, I mm -hmm. think. And then uh, Riley killed it uh, finally. And it ended up being the 42nd biggest kudu ever killed in the world. Oh, wow. I think it was like 65 inches, 64 Goodness inches, gracious. something like that. Yeah. yeah. Hoss of an animal. Uh -huh. Yeah. So that would be, I think the one that I have in, in the trophy room is like in the upper 40s. Mm-hmm. But that's a subspecies. That's the East Cape Kudu. They gotcha. Don't, yep. They don't get like mm -hmm. the, into the 60 inches over mm -hmm. there. You know, if you get one that's pushing, if you get one over 50, that's like a slam dunk. And 55 is like about, the, they're going to top out for that. Um, but, have, have you shot a baboon yet? At. Yeah. <laughs> shot at a baboon's ass while it's running away. <laughs> they're so smart. They're like, they see a truck and, coming in. And they like, move so quick. Mm -hmm. It blows my mind. Yeah. Uh, we they were breaking into a bunch of we went early in the season so but a bunch of the lodges were not open yet yeah and they were um they were ripping through the thatch roofs and going in and destroying a couple they destroyed a couple of the um, lodges on yeah. this property so uh we went and um chased them down and i ended up shooting one um but it was a female and i wanted to get a male one because i want this thing uh on a baboon in a tuxedo by the front door holding a um, silver tray to put my keys on. <laughs> <laughs> Wife's going to love it. Uh -huh. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't know that Aaron would be down with that, but that, yeah, that sounds awesome. Uh, no, I've only shot Adam and like four or 500 yards yeah. just flinging lead. Mm -hmm. But my pH Carl, he's like, we're not messing around with baboons. If we see one in passing, I'll yeah. let you shoot at, but we're like, mm -hmm. we're not going baboon hunting. But now I'm on like, this summer will be trip number seven. And I'm just be like, we're shooting a baboon. Because <laughs> I want a European. I want the skull. You know, what's like, uh, what's on your bucket list over there? Man, I've checked a lot of it off. Yeah. Um, this next, and we like so since we film everything and put it mm -hmm. on their YouTube channel, we like to tell a story, do something different. Yeah. Um, so we did we did a giraffe because that's a real hot button issue. It's like so we we told the story of why would somebody hunt a giraffe? Mm -hmm. And we looked at the numbers across Africa and we had all the information and the stats. And we said, well, in the countries that allow giraffe hunting, giraffe are doing quite well mm -hmm. in the countries like Kenya that have closed it completely. And they've closed all hunting since the seventies, their giraffe numbers are rapidly declining. And the reason is there's no value in having those animals on the landscape mm -hmm. and they, they eat a ton anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, so that that was uh, a uh, a cool one, and then Carl told me after that video, he had a bunch of hunters calling saying, "I want I want a giraffe hunt." And What'd you do with the giraffe? Uh, so it is at the tannery. Are you rug? Yeah, I'm just yeah. gonna put it in the floor of the yeah. trophy room. Yeah, man, my buddy um, has a giraffe rug, and it looks so cool, and I love it, and I want one. And went over there, and out of all animals, my wife's like. I don't want you shooting a giraffe. Yeah. I'm like what? Yeah. And, uh, but so it was interesting. My kids are the ones that wanted me to shoot the giraffe. Yeah. They're like, dad, you haven't shot a giraffe yet. And this is like trip number five. And I was like, no, I haven't. I said, it, I'm not opposed to it. It really didn't, wasn't at the top of the list, but if you guys want me to shoot one, sure. Why not? I think I'm going to use that too. Yeah. Honey, the kids wanted me to. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the girls said they want a giraffe. Right? Yeah. yeah. Who doesn't? Uh, yeah. Um, so this next one, so there's this species of zebra called mountain zebra that you yep. can't export back to the United States. Mm -hmm. There's not really a reason why at this point populations have recovered. So we're going to do the zebra hunt mm -hmm. and 
we're going to see i'll be the guinea pig to see if we can get it back into the states okay so and we probably going to reach out to conservation force uh, mm-hmm. force john jackson over there and see if he wants to be involved because he actually is the one that told carl hey i need i need somebody that's willing to push the envelope and see if we can because you can it's, you can hunt them yeah it's legal to hunt them mm-hmm. uh just can't get it back in so we'll see if we can maybe start pushing the needle yeah on uh you know the importation of those mm-hmm. so i think that'll be one of the stories from this upcoming trip I do want to shoot another buffalo. Mm-hmm. That was one of my favorite hunts. Oh, great, ever. isn't it? Yeah. Um, what about dangerous game like leopard, lion? So or, price is the yeah. limiting. Leopard is number one for me. Yeah. On my all-time bucket list. Really. And I was sitting at that auction in Nashville, one of the <laughs> banquet nights, and like the leopard's going for like twenty-five. Now it's like thirty, and I'm just like. Oh. Aaron would kill me. Yeah. <laughs> what does like kill me? And I can't justify is, is it. Is it about twenty five grand <clears throat> just to get in the game? Yeah, like, uh, some some are forty, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, and, and the other and if it was for like North America, yeah, I would really and even globally, like sheep is really really appealing to me. Really, yeah. I've, I've but the sheep not, are all like like doll sheep. Yeah, starting out twenty five grand. Really, and then it in desert bighorn, Rocky Mountain bighorn, mm-hmm. stone sheep, you know, fifty thousand dollars all day. So, yeah, you're probably looking at if you want to do a sheep slam and you don't have the points, you're not drawing them. People that do that, I'm so envious of. Uh, yeah, you're looking at over right around probably two hundred thousand dollars to to do it. Wow. I my kids probably want to go to college, right? Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> so future problems. Right, that's future. <laughs> Yeah. Their problem or mine? One yeah. or the other. Yeah. I've I've put in for elk a couple times in Montana because uh, Jay has a ranch out there, mm-hmm. beautiful place, and uh, have not drawn yet. But I think this year is my year because I've accumulated enough points. So I'm look, really looking forward to that. I've never shot an elk before. Uh-huh. So awesome. And um, we had Josh Fields out from Rocky Mountain Elk Calls, mm-hmm. um, and he was calling for uh, Jay last year, and he's phenomenal. <clears throat> we got out there a couple days early. The rut, had, the rut has not kicked in yet. We got there on a Friday morning, and uh, the rut really started Sunday. But he goes out uh, Friday evening and Saturday and just is calling his head off and gets him going. Really? And, that, and that rut started Saturday, Sunday, and Jay tagged out that uh, that day, and then Josh's cousin tagged out the next day. Wow. Yeah. Jay put a poke on one seventy. Uh, 70- Two yards, dang! Yeah, with yeah. his bow, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Now, I uh, I hunted Montana once and missed an elk there, uh, and then my buddy. So, being from Texas, you know, I, I go. I haven't missed an elk season, and I think maybe nine years I've been, maybe eight, but I've killed three, mm-hmm. and I've missed two, and I've wounded two. So, lots of opportunity. Yeah. Uh, but Montana, I missed, and then my buddy Ty Stubblefield, who I don't know if you ever heard of, born and raised, but they make elk hunting videos, mm-hmm. and he was with that original group, and then left and moved to Montana and started working for BHA, which he's since left. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was calling, and he's got twenty years of elk hunting experience under his belt, and this uh, five by five walks in. We're sitting in a burn eating lunch, and casually just calling and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm amidst like telling jokes and just 
having a good time. And this elk doesn't, he doesn't bugle or anything. He just comes in quiet. Like, oh my God. So I'm sitting on a log and I, you know, come to full draw and I shoot and you could see my arrow bounce off of the one limb between me and the elk. And so I'm like trying to knock another arrow Mm -hmm. and I look over and the elk's already dead. Ty's already shot him. (laughs) 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 He gave one cow call, stop that elk. And like, I'm like fumbling around. like, I got to reload. I got to knock another arrow. And no, I just see this arrow right through the vitals and the elk runs 30 yards and falls over dead. Really? I was like, that's the difference between someone that's been doing this. And and to his credit, I mean, like, he's a diehard bow hunter. Mm -hmm. I'm a bow hunter, but it's like... Yeah, once rifle season starts, I'm I'm happy to pick up the rifle. I don't like, care. Likewise, yep. I'm not a purist. Yep, likewise. I enjoy it, mm-hmm. but I mean, my routine is uh, about July. I get the bow out and start shooting every day. I'm not someone that shoots it year round. Mm-hmm. I don't obsess over archery like a lot of people. I obsess over hunting. Yeah, and uh, and it's like you tell me what weapon I need to show up with, and I'll. You know, try to be as proficient as I can with that weapon, and then I'll be there because I just want to hunt. I'm in the same boat, you know. Uh, I still shoot my Matthew Z7 that I got, I think, in like 2011, uh-huh. and um, actually brought it to Binks to get it restrung for the first time about two weeks ago. Hmm. And uh, I mean, that thing, I just don't see a need to buy the latest and greatest because mine i could you know i do the t- I, well, the tax archery and... technology in 2011 was pretty good yeah <laughs> I mean, like, you're missing out on what 20 or 30 feet per second now yeah but yeah. what but at tack i mean people have always have the latest and greatest uh-huh. bows and i just i got made fun of it for, like someone called it a dinosaur mm-hmm. or like oh you're shooting that dinosaur like i mean i don't shoot a lot but i'll i'll, I'll, I'll challenge you like mm-hmm. let's go and uh um, so I shoot that thing really well, so I'm just going to stick with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. If it's not broke. You know? Yeah. Um, so, okay, how many points do you have in Montana? Um, two two or three years worth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know exactly how many that is. Yeah. yeah. I think I you think can draw worth. in Montana still with oh, yeah, two or three is all you need. Yeah. Um, I had – I burned my Wyoming points. had five there. When I was telling you how to pack out my buddy's bull, mm-hmm. um, we each had five. And I think you were guaranteed to draw if you had an average of four. Oh, so we knew like, yeah. ahead of time. We're, mm-hmm. we're drawing. Yeah. We're burning our points this year. Um, and then I have points in Utah and building back up in Montana mm-hmm. and then Colorado. Um, because you can still draw good units in Colorado. Uh, in addition to the over-the-counter stuff. Okay, gotcha. So like I was just about to ask if that was uh, over-the-counter or draw. Yeah. Yeah. So what I haven't done, though, is um, I've, of course, been accumulating elk points because I obsess over September elk hunting. Mm-hmm. But every time I also buy, in those states, pronghorn and mule deer yep. and mountain goat. Mm-hmm. And I certainly don't have enough points for goat. Uh, but mule deer and pronghorn, I mean, some of those states I have seven points in. And so... It's like, when am I going to, yeah. maybe I'm going to miss an elk season somewhere along the road. And mm-hmm. just, like, maybe I could burn my pronghorn points in Montana and Wyoming in the same year and just do a big That'd be nice. yeah. pronghorn hunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I've never uh, shot a pronghorn year. Jay has on his ranch in, uh, in Montana, uh, but I don't think I had a tag. He I th- had a tag and got one a couple of years ago, him and his uh, land manager. But uh, um, I heard they're delicious. They are. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, people told me they weren't good. Like, 
I don't know. I haven't, the ones I've killed have been in the Texas panhandle. So they're eating ag. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you got one that was like eating a bunch of sage, if it would not be as good, but I, I thought it was phenomenal. Uh, I heard they're uh, good to make breakfast sausage with mm. when they eat a lot of sage. Mm. Yeah. I would ima- yeah. imagine. You got to do something with it. Do you eat beer? Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I've I, got uh, some in the freezer. You know, there's a lot of people that don't eat bear either, but uh, I, I've eaten every bear that I shot. Mm-hmm. And it's delicious. Yeah. Breakfast sausage. Make a lot of that with the bear. Yep. I do hamburger and then the loins and uh, then breakfast sausage. Yep. Yeah. But I, that is the one animal when I'm cooking it, my wife sit, smells it. And she's like, oh, that's bear. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So people... They don't. They never know what they're eating when they come to my house, and I, I typically just don't tell people, you know, because uh, uh-huh. a lot of my friends don't hunt, and uh, and or neighbors and things of that nature. Uh, but we'll have burgers, and it's always, you know, some sort of wild game, um, and I just don't even tell anybody anymore at this point. They don't ask. No, yeah. you can't, they don't know either. <laughs> right. <laughs> they just know it's good. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um. So, what are your plans for this coming season? So, are you and are you going to do any turkey hunting? Um, yes, I'm going to do some turkey hunting. Um, do that in Kentucky at Jay's ranch. His land manager Luke is I, th- I think he's part turkey. He talks t- t- to turkey, <laughs> you know, and uh, so it's really fun hunting with him. And um, we've uh, th- tossed around the idea of doing another gold star hunt, maybe just for a couple gals, maybe for turkey in the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and what, so. What is that exactly? Okay, so uh, gold star wives are widows. Okay, and uh, so earlier in, or empty late in this last hunting season. So earlier in the year, I think we did it in January. We had five gold star wives um, out to Kentucky to Jay's ranch, and these are NSW gold star wives. So their husbands were Navy SEALs, mm-hmm. and uh, I was real close with a couple of their husbands, and had them out. And it was bow or crossbow season. It was bow season, but you can use crossbows. Um, so we had them all uh, on crossbows and took them hunting for three or four days. And uh, we each sat with one of the gals while she was hunting. And it was the most rewarding, coolest thing I've ever done in my life. Really, it was. Uh, it was something else, man. Mm. Um, and I, I think part of it was I was very, very close with a couple of their husbands, you know, and uh, um, but watching these gals harvest animals and because they all are, you know, are very uh, curious and they want to learn. Right. So you're in the deer blind, you're quartering, talking about quartering shots, quartering towards you, quartering towards you, quartering away. Um, and, you know, then after they shoot, um, after they uh, this gal I was hunting with, um, she shot a really nice doe. And afterwards, you know, uh, it only went 20 yards, maybe heart shot at 55 yards, just hammered it. And, uh, but walking up like, okay, this is where you shot it. Let's, let's walk the blood trail. I, I know we could see her, but teach mm-hmm. her how to walk the blood trail. It was the coolest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we'd like to, uh, repeat that every year at Jay's ranch and keep it small. Uh, we had five, um, wives out this last year. So I think five is the right number. Uh-huh. And, uh, so we'd like to do that, um, for deer for sure. But, uh, we've tossed around the idea of doing it for Turkey, but you know, that's going to come up real quick. Yeah. Uh, so, and these things take quite a bit of planning. Um, so I'll do Turkey and then spring bear in Montana. Um, cause I'm, I, f- I feel like I'm just due. I, f- I hunted 
over the course of the last two years, like three weeks, uh-huh. uh, glassing for bear and have not got one. And we have my Jay has them on camera and I mean, they're out there and there's a beautiful color face bears out there mm. and there's nice, uh, all black bears too. Um, uh, so do spring bear, spring Turkey. And then, um, hopefully I draw in Montana and do elk. And then, uh, for deer season, I know I'll come back here, uh, to Texas at least once or twice and then deer hunt in Montana or sorry, in Kentucky as well. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I'd like to, I'd like to get a mule deer in Montana as well. But, mm-hmm. uh, this year later on this month, I'm coming back to Texas uh, to do a Hilo hog hunt with oh, a couple of friends. Nice. I, I, um, I've not done that yet and yeah. I'm excited for it. I haven't either. Yeah. Yeah. So you said something interesting though, as far as taking these, these ladies, these widows hunting and not specific to, uh, the wives of our fallen heroes, but I was talking to another guy and everybody wants to do these, you know, take a kid hunting things. And he's like, that's, that's great. But you're kind of missing the mark because it's the mom. If you take the mom hunting, then that kid, and maybe the kid comes with her, then that kid is more likely to get to go hunting again. Because a lot of times, if it's you know, if it's like an inner city thing, or if it's uh, they don't have the ability to to go hunting again, mm-hmm. it's just a one time thing. Mm-hmm. And so you've taken this, you've introduced this kid to hunting, but it, they're going to fall through the cracks. And they mm-hmm. probably statistically, and I never even thought about this, but statistically, they might not go hunting again. Yep. If you take the mom hunting and she enjoys it, that kid's going to go hunting more. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think we, and, and we are, you know, it's not a, a new trend. Like more women are going hunting now mm-hmm. than ever before. But I think we really need to focus, especially on the, the single moms, mm-hmm. uh, on making sure that they're part of that experience. So uh, NSW, the Gold Star Wives program, they do a, a, um, a really good job. And there's a gal by the name of uh, Chris Cook, and she has the Julian Ranch out of California, Southern mm-hmm. California. Um, she runs a program, so she brought the girls out, taught them how to shoot, and taught them how to uh, clean animals, right, after they harvest them. And so they went through that progression, and then uh, we had the gals out to harvest the animal. So that was mm-hmm. super cool. And I was hunting with this um, gal, Rebecca, and... Uh, after she smoked this doe, I got so excited. First of all, the doe walked out, or a, a fawn walked out, and she goes, that's too small, right? I said, yeah. And uh, then and she walked out right, in, this um, fawn walked out, or yearling walked out right under the tree stand. Mm. And then I look left, and here comes another one. I said, I told her, I said, about 20 seconds, watch. And we sit there, then out walked this big doe, and... She's walking, walks right under us, uh, right to the feeder and turned, did a 180 and was facing, uh, facing us directly. Right. So, uh, and it was 35 yards. I said, we'll just wait for her to turn. No drama. And, uh, she's pregnant and she's kind of doing this air squat, you know, with the, uh, with the crossbow out the window. And I'm, you know, talking to her the whole time. And then the doe does another 180 and starts walking away. I'm like, man. And uh, mm. it felt like an eternity, but she was probably waiting like four or five minutes. And the doe was walking away. And I'm telling her, 35 yards, 40 yards, 45 yards, 50 yards. I'm like, you want me to stop her? And uh, she's like, yeah, stop her. And as soon as she said that, uh, I don't know if she heard us or what, but she turned just enough. So she was quartering away. 
and stopped her tracks at 55 yards, 55 yards, quarter and away, lay it to her. And she let it fly. And it sounded like that thing got hit with a wuffle ball bat. Mm. And, uh, um, and I grab, I put my arm around her and I was so freaking excited. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Oh, great shot. She's like, did I hit it? I'm like, you freaking smoked it. And then I realized how hard of a grip I had on her shoulder. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I, I've really worked up right now. <laughs> but that dough walked out and I was shaking, uh-huh. you know, like I got a bad case of buck fever cause I just wanted it to happen so bad for her. Uh-huh. Uh, it was the greatest feeling in the world. Well, I think that just goes to prove what hunting's really all about, yeah. right? It wasn't even you. Yeah. It was pulling the trigger. I, I'm telling you, I could do that and not hunt. Hunting yeah. is the most fun you can have with your clothes on. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> and if you're with your wife, maybe take your clothes off. <laughs> it's a big deer blind. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, well, so as we wrap up here, yeah. Outsider, mm-hmm. you guys have different uh drink units here yes sir this one's cool so you were showing me this and i have typically this in the truck you Mm -hmm. know just a coffee cup and the thing doesn't fit in the cup holders by and large this thing the handle flips up like that Mm -hmm. and i was like how cool is that so now that fits in my my cup holder and it's 17 ounces so it's bigger than your average coffee cup so you can uh put your coffee in there and if you want creamer or what what uh, have you and it works real well the lids screw on and it's ambidextrous so you can have it on mm-hmm. and hold it in either hand and then screw the lid accordingly um and and this is called the am that's our naming convention is am all day and pm and our, all day is our water bottle and um all our uh drinkware is three or four stainless steel vacuum sealed with copper clad lining <clears throat> and uh, then we have our hard koozie so our hard koozie will fit just about anything um so right now, there's a little lip on the inside that stops the beer can from going all the way to the bottom uh but it'll let a seltzer and or like a high noon or whatever a slim can go through okay and uh it'll fit all your bottles all your cans and everything like that huh. so and i'm we're uh currently developing more um more drinkware so we'll have a uh, about five or six more units coming out in the springtime. So, mm. uh, so growth has been good. Yeah. It's, it's working well. Yeah. So, so I, and I always, I always wonder because it seems like a great industry to get into, but also seems very saturated. Correct. So how do you navigate those waters knowing like, Oh, we got, there's a lot of competition. So, uh, I, it's hard to find an industry that's not saturated. Right. Yeah. Um, and everyone has drinkware. Everyone buys it, and everyone's going to continue to buy it. And I think with you know um, my story and Jay's story and building a brand, we could put a personality, a face, and a veteran-owned company. Um, we can put that behind some drinkware, and I think we can sway enough consumers when they reach for you know a Yeti or a Hydro Flask to see us once they recognize our mark and um, know our brand, sway them to shift right and grab ours off the shelf instead of theirs. I mean, I would always support veteran owned mm-hmm. if, if, if I knew. Yeah, I think that's correct. To- so that's what we're doing now. We're just building our brand, getting our name out there. We're, uh, we're a new startup. Uh, we will be in a thousand tractor supply stores starting in March. We'll be in um, some flying um, J and pilot gas stations. Uh, we've, uh, been on Black Rifle's website before. I'm selling in the Black Rifle coffee shop in Kalispell, Montana. Um, so we're opening up more accounts, and it, it's working well. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. 
Well, cool. I wish you guys the best. Thanks for uh, bringing the absolutely the uh, drinkware over. Definitely put those to good use. Cool. Yeah. And thanks for making the trip from uh, from Nashville. I appreciate you having me, bud. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks yes, for sir. your service. Yeah, thank you. And I will uh, hit you up if I ever when I get that South Dakota. Uh, Please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Yep. Appreciate you, bud. So there you have it. Recently retired Navy SEAL, a big game hunter and uh, drinkware entrepreneur from Outsider, our new friend, Sam Mackey. Man, what a down-to-earth guy. Uh, absolutely loved visiting with him and look forward to our next cigar-smoking rendezvous in uh, in Nashville next year. Uh, maybe go uh, South Dakota deer hunting as well. Who knows? But uh, definitely check out Outsider if you're in the market for a new, I don't know, what... What do people use those things for? I use them every day for coffee, uh, but I think a lot of adults use them for mixing drinks, right? I'll put it this way. On Halloween, every adult on the street seems to have one, and I don't think it's coffee that's in there when the kids are trick-or-treating. So make your next drinkware purchase uh, one from Outsider. And no, they are not an advertiser on the show. Sam is just my friend and a veteran, and we want to help him out. So uh, let's blow Outsider up. Well, I guess that's going to do it for this episode of Campfire Conversations. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Thanks again to Sam for uh, making the trip all the way from Nashville. I know that was no small task. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Like kisses go with back roads. Like blue goes with sky. Like church goes with Sunday. And picnics with July we go again. Like coffee and cold weather.